Hi, good morning. Before I read the scripture, uh, by way of introduction, I'd like to begin with a little story. Uh, the story is the wealthiest and most famous people I've ever preached for. It's kind of interesting. So uh, when I was in seminary, I was uh, involved in a Christian ministry in the national parks, and I was placed at Grand Teton National Park. Um, I did not know that uh, that summer the National Board of the Christian Ministry in the National Parks was going to meet. Uh, so what happened with me is that uh, they gave me a job. I worked in the resort kitchen all summer, and then on Sundays I had a resort, uh, I had a room in the resort hotel where I would preach to tourists. So when the board met, two of the couples from the board decided to come to my service. And so on that particular Sunday when I went to the essentially hotel meeting room where the service was at, uh, I saw that the hotel staff were doing an extra job at cleaning and they brought flowers. Like, can't they do this every week? Oh well. Um, and then people uh, started to come to the service and then uh, in walked uh, Mr. and Mrs. Rockefeller of Oil Fortune and then Mr. and Mrs. Firestone, as in the tire. And Mrs. Firestone was a Lynch, as in Merrill Lynch uh, uh, financial firm from New York City. So there was, a, there was a bit of money represented in that room. Uh, I preached on that day, you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom of God. And I remember after the service, uh, they came up. At, they were, uh, I would estimate, mid-70s. And uh, they came up and were so kind and so gracious. Um, I thought about that and I thought, boy, I kind of feel important today that I had these people come. Well, because there was the national board meeting, there was also a dinner. And uh, I was invited to the dinner at the Rockefeller's house. Uh, they had cleared out all of the furniture from the living room, set up eight-foot tables. Uh, about a hundred people were invited to this. There were four head tables, and then uh, with four head tables with assigned seats, and then all of the other tables were just find a seat after you got your food at the buffet line. So after got I, after I got my food, uh, somebody told me I was at a head table, like I had an assigned seat. I was like, ooh, well, this is kind of fun. And so I looked for my name, and one table was Mr. Rockefeller's table, one Mrs. Rockefeller, one Mr. Firestone, one Mrs. Firestone, and then everybody else. Uh, so I found my name, and I was at the head table right, right in the middle, right across from Mr. Rockefeller, uh, the superintendent of Grand Teton National Park to my right, and the wife of the superintendent of Yellowstone National Park to my left. And... Uh, I will say they were all very, very gracious, wonderful meal. After the meal, um, I was a very good average guitar player, and I led uh, uh, in singing of, of three songs, and they, they sang out, and uh, just, just a wonderful evening. That evening ended, and uh, what consequence did it have in my life? Well, it makes for an interesting story my mingling with the rich and the famous. And uh, why do I share this? We live in a culture that is enamored by the rich and the famous and the celebrity. But 
where is the relationship in that? You know, relationships are so important. Where is the relationship? Now, when we look at our text today, the Bible doesn't use the word celebrity, but uh, Jesus' rising popularity is akin to some celebrity status. For in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, we see in verse 32 that uh, the people are amazed at Jesus' teaching. And then, uh, a little, little later on, it says they are amazed at what? They are amazed at how he casted out demons. And then a few verses later, he's healing many. And the word amazed isn't used, but you can fill in the blank. People are amazed at what Jesus is doing with all of the healing. And uh, with all of this amazement and Jesus' soaring popularity, we come to our scripture passage for today. It is John, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Luke 5, 1 through 11. Hear God's word for us today. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. May God's word speak into our hearts today. So Jesus is very popular, we see, and the crowds are gathering around, and uh, they, they just are, they want to hear Jesus speak more and more and more. You know, at the end of my sermon today, I expect you'll say, oh, nice message, but we're done. We can go now. You're not going to be like, more, more, more. And that's fine. You don't need to. But Jesus, okay, this is Jesus. They're more and more, and they're pressing in. They want to hear Jesus speaking. And so they're pressing in, and uh, oh, where are they? The Lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee up north. And uh, this sea is about uh, 
um, eight miles across at its widest. It's kind of pear-shaped, eight miles by 13 miles, uh, meaning it, it's no Lake Michigan, but it's a nice sized body of water. And so we have uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, fresh water, uh, a, a place for fish to, uh, to flourish in. Um, and so there are boats there, and as the people uh, are uh, pressing in on Jesus, uh, he thinks, you know, it'd be a little easier if I get into one of these boats. And uh, then people can be on the shore, and uh, I, can, I can sit down. Uh, back then, often, uh, a person might sit to teach, and uh, teach, teach from there. Very interesting. Uh, in the mid-80s, archaeologists found a boat. I think it was buried in the mud, and that's why, because it was wood, it, it got preserved, dated to the time of Jesus. Uh, the boat that was discovered was 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. Um, I'll, I'll make mention of that again in just a moment. But if we're talking the edge of the platform there, you know, 27 feet, what, what do you think? I mean, maybe, I don't know, 10, maybe a little less. So 27 feet, this is how big the boat is, from the edge of the platform about to me. So um, a nice size boat, you know, not huge, but a nice size boat, you could, you could fit a bunch of people in there as well. So Jesus is in the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out your nets for a catch. This is kind of funny. Jesus, probably carpenter by trade, right? Joseph was a carpenter. Jesus probably learned this craft. So uh, the carpenter is saying to the experienced fisherman, uh, let's fish some more. And uh, Peter, he's, he's been around the block fishing, right? And so he had already been fishing, caught nothing. He knew that if they fished again, it was likely they would not catch much. And Jesus says, let's, let's do it. Now, because Jesus is Jesus, Peter's like, okay, let's do this. But when he first put out back into the water again, he's like, I am so tired. Why are we doing this? I was trying to think of an illustration on this, and I I thought uh, if Jesus was a financial advisor and the stock market was just not doing well, it was, it was crashing, and Jesus the carpenter walked into Peter's office and said, Peter, sell everything and invest in this stock. He'd be like, no, no, I don't want to lose any more. No, no, no. Jesus says, do it. So Peter does it, and uh, the next day, miraculously, the stock quadruples. It's kind of a long along the lines of what's going on here. So they put out into the water, and uh, when they did this, they enclosed a large number of fish. They got their partners to come over, and they filled both boats. Now, friends, if the boats are 27 feet long, and both boats are starting to sink, how many fish is this? This is a massive amount of fish. The haul is probably beyond anything they had ever seen before. Um, it got me thinking, you know, what did Peter do with all this money? And then I thought, you know, after this, he followed Jesus. Maybe it helped bankroll his family that he left 
to go follow Jesus because he was married and a mother-in-law. Maybe it, it helped Jesus and the disciples start launch off on the ministry. I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting. We don't know what happened with this massive amount of fish and all the money they made from it. But it was, it was quite something. But even more importantly, of course, than the money that Peter was going to make, it's Peter's recognition that there's something more to Jesus than mere celebrity status. Something more than just this good thing that happened to him. He was in the presence of greatness, of holiness. And so Peter, he falls down and he says, Depart from me, for I am a rough and tumble, coarse, crass, sinful fisherman. And what does Jesus do? Jesus, in a sense, says, no, Peter, I'm, I'm not going. Uh, I'm going to have a relationship with you. I'm going to put you as a man on a mission. You're not going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. You're going to fish for people. And now I'm going to ask you something. Are you going to follow me? And Peter leaves everything and follows Jesus. Now, of course, this is a unique situation. Jesus is calling his 12 to follow him. And yet, we can still ask the question to ourselves today, and I ask the question to you. Today, how is Jesus calling you to faithfully follow him? Now, if we look at Jesus as mere celebrity, there are problems that can result. So in terms of following Jesus, the reasons matter. Why are we following Jesus? Reasons matter. I remember when I was a child and I uh, had a little sister and maybe I wasn't always nice to her. I mean, mostly, right? But sometimes I wasn't. My mom would say, say sorry to your sister. And I was still a little irked at her. And she's like, say sorry, say sorry. And what would I do? I would say sorry. But what was the reason? To be honest, I'm glad my mom's not here today. But the reason was to get my mom off my back. I was still miffed at my sister. It was not true repentance. The reason. Um, our school right now is going through a, a revision of, of grading philosophy. Uh, what do we ultimately want for students? We want them to do their best and have a desire to learn and grow in education, not merely just get a grade. And while we can't change completely a student's heart, we want to think about grading philosophy so that we might encourage students in the direction of what's most important. Not merely getting a grade, but that you are doing your absolute best and you actually desire to learn and grow. Our reasons matter. Yesterday I did a, a serve project in town with a little six acre plot of genuine Illinois prairie. You know, this used to be, our whole state almost was prairie and now there's not much left. So it's kind of cool. And uh, I, I read the email for the reasons to do this. Get a full body workout, which I was tired at the end. Uh, be outside, do good, you know, all of this. 
My real reason is because I wanted to serve with some students that had signed up to do the serve project. And I thought, you know, this is my reason. And it was a good reason. Now, when they started to tell the, the little serve projects, and one of them was to plant Baroque trees, oh my. I was like, okay, our group's doing that. And uh, so that was, yeah, sure, that was a reason. But at the end of the day, it wasn't even planting the trees although I like that, that was a perk, the point was I wanted to serve with students. So what is my point here? What are the reasons for following Jesus? Now some people ultimately, you know, following Jesus, it, it, it looks good. You do good, you feel good by doing good, other people see you, and you look good, and uh, it, it works out for you. Uh, some people follow Jesus simply because, uh, boy, they're, they're just living with angst in this world. And uh, Jesus can provide some peace. And the love of Jesus comforts them. And, and Christian community feels, it feels so good. And so there are people that are attracted to Jesus because of how it makes them feel. The reasons matter. Because if your reason for following Jesus is simply because how it makes you feel, well, then you can end up picking and choosing what you want from the Bible. And really, at the end of the day, who's in charge of your life? You are. I'm in charge, and I'm using Jesus to do what I want him to do for me. So what does it mean to truly follow Jesus? Now, is it good to receive peace? Amen. Is it good to relish Christian community? Amen. And so if you are singing a song, or if you, in, are, you are in prayer, and you sense peace, embrace that. That is a gift insofar as it leads you to following Jesus. If you are being blessed by Christian community, embrace that blessing insofar as it leads you to following Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is good. Last week, my message, God is great, God is good. Jesus is good. And we must embrace these good things, but Jesus wants us to see that they are to lead us to follow Jesus. Jesus is also great. He is great, and Peter recognizes this in the boat, the awesomeness and greatness of Jesus. And uh, we are weak, we are sinful, on our own. We cannot truly be the masters and controllers of our lives. We are frail as humans. And so we approach the greatness of Jesus, and we say, forgive me, help me. I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. And so the response to Jesus, to his greatness, is humility and submission. If there is humility and submission to Jesus, we know we are on the right track to following Jesus. And we're not just using him toward our own ends. Now, some people might say, you know, as we look at this passage in, in, in Luke, uh, this is Peter's story, 
It's not our story. And yet the testimony of the New Testament, the Gospels, the letters, the testimony of the New Testament is the call to follow Jesus. And in, in fact, in my mind, whenever I am preparing for a message and delivering a, a message, first and foremost, I think for myself, how is God calling me to respond to God's grace and be a disciple of Jesus? And so I think, not only this passage, but Luke chapter 9, verse 23, then Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. As we turn to the letters of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in, in uh, Romans 12, verse 1, therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Colossians chapter 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The call for each of us to follow Jesus. And so in this story today, we see Jesus bordering celebrity status. And we see Jesus, after he teaches, he focuses his attention on a, on a rough and tumble fisherman who is far, far, far from perfect. And he looks at him and he says, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter leaves everything and follows Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus is great. The Lord Jesus Christ is both God and man. The Lord Jesus has saved us from our sins and gives us eternal hope. In response to that grace... He wants to set your life on mission for him. And so, friends, here is the question, the very important question for all of us today. How is Jesus, as he looks into your life, how is he calling you to faithfully follow him? Amen. Let's pray. Let's just spend a few moments in quiet as we consider that question, how is Jesus calling us to follow him today? Lord God Almighty, we readily acknowledge that we are weak and you are strong. Holy Spirit, please shape and mold our hearts. Change us, O oh God, so that any sacrifice for Jesus is worth it. 
so that we might have a glad surrender as we seek the path of discipleship that you have called us to. Oh God, we are thankful. We are thankful for your amazing grace. And may we walk in your grace in this week ahead.